Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to the TF1 podcast. This is your host, Trey. This is the British GP review. Let's go. Let's get right into it. All right, everybody. I hope um, everyone is is doing well. We had an unbelievable British GP. I mean, there's so many things to cover uh, that I can't even wait uh, to get into. I know we're all coming off the the excitement and the high of such an amazing race. Uh, for for some reason, Silverstone just never disappoints and it it produces such a fantastic race. So I want to get into everything. Uh, There's a lot to cover. Uh, So let me get right into it. Now, before we get into the race analysis, what I um, always give you guys is how qualifying was and what the top three results of qualifying was. But before I even get into the qualifying results, excuse me, we had a really um, controversial, I want to say, week just leading up to qualifying and the race. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but it it really made a lot of news in in the F1 world. It kind of rocked the F1 world. So um, just to make sure we bookmark it. So Nelson PK, which is one of the Uh, older drivers who's a three-time world champion in the past he made um, it became public uh, comments he made last year that were disparaging and that were also in a racist manner to Lewis Hamilton and it's just um, it's such a shame to still come across that in this day and age and like I said there's so much to cover with this Silverstone race I'm not gonna spend a lot of time talking about this but I just wanted to make sure I mention it to you guys um it's disappointing people like Bernie Ecclestone people like Nelson PK um these folks the fact that they even have a platform to say things that are um really backwards and behind and that are not inclusive it's just a shame. And, and all I'll say is, just like Lewis Hamilton said, um, people like this do not need to be given a platform uh, to speak. You know, we, we're light years away from the kind of mindset, backwards mindset that they have. So I'll just leave it there. Like I said, there's so many things to get through with the British GP. So I'm going to jump right in. So you know, the Silverstone track, like I you said right at the beginning, it just never disappoints. Uh, the layout of the track, the atmosphere, there was a record crowd over the weekend. If you include Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it was almost another record broken. If you tally up the numbers, it, it was just really insane. And actually for qualifying on Saturday, as you guys well know, it was raining. It was full on um you know, rain. So it was, you know, for the fans to be there, you know, with that kind of crazy weather, that just shows you the dedication. So that's why almost every driver, that's their favorite track, favorite atmosphere. So the top three qualifiers on Saturday were Charles, um, excuse me, Sainz was number one, Max was number two, and then Leclerc was number three. So Sainz, it was an interesting weekend. The fact that he grabbed pole, Um, you got to keep in mind also this was a pivotal um, race weekend because you had major upgrades from the top three manufacturers so Mercedes brought several upgrades to their car that's including the front suspension um, parts of the front wings Um, there was also an improvement to their wing and you know Um, other tweaks that they had so that was pretty major but it wasn't just Mercedes like I said the top three so um, Red Bull had some major updates as well one of them being um, uh, they had the engine cover takes a cue from McLaren and it it has a different um, almost mounting on the engine cover so it's really interesting that Red Bull has been relentless in bringing upgrades. 
um, I don't know what at what point with the budget cap that they're gonna I mean there has to be a point they cannot bring any more upgrades because they've been very aggressive in bringing upgrades almost to every race and you can see what kind of results that it's had on the speed of the car which I'll get into deeper as we go on the podcast but so they did that and then Ferrari so like I said the big boys all the big boys Ferrari had some some uh, major upgrades too um, one of the upgrades was you know mountings that they had added to their mirrors there were also some other upgrades to the car they brought in and keep in mind guys you know with upgrades sometimes the upgrades that are brought to the car me and you are not going to be able to see it so sometimes it's visible sometimes it's not so it's a pivotal race for all the teams because you know they've been working on these upgrades for weeks and weeks and months so that sets it up uh, that sets us up for a very interesting race on sunday so unlike the weather on saturday you know sunday is all clear so once the race starts you know we didn't not we didn't even get a chance to catch our breath and finish our coffee on lap one from the very beginning there is major major um drama because there is an accident that happens so at the start george russell did not have a good start so you have a situation where him and uh also you had uh jogan yu on the alfa romeo and when you know there was a couple of drivers right there at the bottom now keep in mind that russell qualified eighth okay so um both the mercedes hamilton qualifying fifth and russell qualifying eighth you know with the improvements they brought to the car that was actually um disappointing qualifying for them so russell's all the way back in eighth and when when this happens when you're far behind this is the danger zone that you get into and it doesn't mean you can't get into accidents at the front of the track but it is much more dangerous towards the mid pack and at the end because of exactly what is about to happen so when you saw there was a a, a driver that went right in between george russell and gone um you know uh, gone you joe gone you and then you saw gasly who really did a miscalculation if you guys see the replays and everything and what Gasly does is he tries to go in the middle of you know he has George Russell to his right another driver to his left and his wheel taps and you know once his wheel touches like I said there was not enough space to do that because George Russell was naturally coming to his left hand side so Uh, in order to cover the racing line and so it was a huge miscalculation on the part of Gasly and by the time Gasly is realizing hey three into two that that just doesn't go that doesn't commute that doesn't divide and once he tried to back off and hit the brakes that sets into motion a really really dangerous kind of sequence of events so that affects George Russell but the the really scary part is so you saw uh basically the Joganyu's Alfa Romeo that gets you know tangled up it gets launched the car goes upside down and it's carrying all the momentum and speed and it goes through the gravel trap and you know there's there's a net right there so that you know the the vehicle doesn't um go off to the stands where people are but there's also a gap right there so but with the camera pictures and everything now i'll get to it you know this is of course a recap of the race but for those of us that are watching the race once that happens and the red flag goes up you know that is something serious but because of the nature of how severe it was the cameras actually didn't show you know what exactly happened and of course you know that that serves two purposes and i completely understand that so the first thing is you know alex albon was the other car that was involved you know 
he was really affected as well. And, and like I said, Zhou Ganyu's car, that was upside down in the corner. But for those of us that are watching the world feed, because of safety reasons and not knowing the outcome of if the driver is okay or not, we did not literally see a replay of that for I'm, I'm, I'm gonna say at least 20, 25 minutes and may have even been 30. Um, it was a long while and I have heard of reports after the race and I, and I tell you guys um, all the time on the podcast, I really like to uh, compile and get a lot of research and information as I can after the race because there's cer- certain things that you learn that are not going to be apparent immediately after the race. So um, the best they can, the our uh, world fight, you know, the world feed, the ITV reporters were telling us, you know, all the information they know to be true. But just for the sake of safety, the camera actually did not show us a replay of exactly what happened. So that's pretty nerve wracking because you're hoping you know, everybody's okay. You're hoping uh, Jean-Guy you safe. You're, you're hoping that Alex Albon is okay. But then, you know, your eyes haven't watched the replay. All you know is, is, is it's red flag. So all the cars are now going back into the pits. Uh, what Russell, George Russell of the Mercedes does is he stops and he's trying to get assistance to go to Jean-Guy Yu. And, you know, that's very commendable because as we're about to find out that affects his race um because he stopped yes his car was damaged but he was talking to the marshals he was trying to get assistance and let them know that you know because he knew it was pretty serious so you have to recognize um just you know what kind of um state of mind that george russell had in order to try to assist in a scary scary time like that so Needless to say, after we waited, you know, when you saw the replay, this was just a very, very, you know, just scary and nasty. You know, I don't I don't know how else um, to describe this. Um, You know, this was one of those things you're reminded, I, I would say, after the Grosjean horrific accident that we saw a couple of years ago where the car was on fire and you know, the car at at speeds of literally over 160, 170 miles per hour when it went under the barrier and it just cut the car. This was another moment that you saw that was extremely scary, but the halo, you know, yet again, um, has, has been very instrumental in saving lives. And in this case, you have to say, First and foremost, uh, thank God that, you know, Joe Ganyu was okay after such a scary accident. Uh, you have to, you know, say uh, thankfully that Alex Albon, who was the other driver affected, thank God he's okay. And, you know, the halo has been, I would argue, you know, you can probably place the halo in the top three of, you know, I would say top three or top five of one of the, you know, most critical safety innovations that F1 has done. And it's not just the halo. Of course, there's other factors on the car, you know, the construction of the body, um, different elements we're not even aware of, of how when there's impact the materials you know, take all the G-forces, you know, there's all those elements combined, not just the halo, but the halo has been instrumental. And if you look at the weekend and, you know, I I really have to cover this incident in detail because there was a very scary moment. But actually, after the race, we come to find out it was not just an F1, but in F2 in the supporting series, uh, Dennis Hoger is the name of the driver that was involved in a very serious accident. The halo was instrumental in his case as well. So you're talking about not just one life, but two lives over the weekend that were saved by the halo. So uh, you just have to really be thankful. And, and I'm talking about all of us as F1 fans. Thank goodness 
that the halo was there and uh, you know the race can turn out how it was the, the priority is that the drivers are okay so we have to mention that so that caused a red flag like i said it was even more scary because we weren't able for safety reasons the worldwide feed did not show us a replay so we didn't even we knew it was serious but we didn't know how serious until they finally once uh it was confirmed that you know both albon and joe wanyu was okay then they showed us the replay and they talked about it and it was just very very scary so thank god uh everybody was okay related to that so going back to the race you know now the race resumes and so we see right at the front that you know max and red bull definitely especially with the upgrades even though it was very close with ferrari you know the red bull still had an edge um as far as pace so science um he surrenders the read the lead excuse me at lap 10 and that's right at the maggots beckett's complex and uh he's you know taken over and so as the race proceeds um you have different things that are going on so there's a part where there was carbon fiber coming from one of the alpha tauris and that um gets jammed up in max's car in max's red bull so now you can tell he was immediately on the radio he knows that he feels like something is broken on his car you know it affected him immediately and if you know anything about carbon fiber from these cars you know carbon fiber is one of the strongest materials on the planet so as strong as these f1 cars are when you have that jammed up on your vehicle that causes a lot of issues so max was immediately on the radio and the way his car was positioned he was close to the pit entrance i don't know what kind of luck that boy has but he goes dives into the pits they go ahead and change the tires because he thought there was a puncture in one of his tires and what what it sounds like happened was you know it did affect his tires but they did change the the uh, tires and they went ahead and put him out again but what was clear was you know even when he was out and he was on the radio he was telling them listen i clearly think something is broken and the team was like we're looking at the data we see it's not critical you're you know you're definitely compromised but it's not critical <laughs> and uh, you know of course as a driver there's nobody better that has a feel and max was telling them whatever it is i think it's 100 percent broken so come to find out later on what we find out is it actually affected his floor there was some damage to his floor and you know these cars are so sensitive aerodynamically that you know uh max was just not able to keep up with the front runner so he started slipping back now as that is going on so you have signs charles and you know lewis hamilton of course is in pursuit but now there is drama that's brewing with ferrari and how the team is handling the fact that there is an all-out battle that is happening with charles and signs and you know the order of which everything is happening so even though leclerc had at a point um he had a point where he was battling with signs there is a point where now charles is on the radio and he's talking to the pit wall okay so there's instructions that are happening to both signs and charles leclerc leclerc keeps telling the team that he has better pace than signs and that they need to make a decision so that he can go ahead and you know be let you know uh be let as far as the strategy is concerned so he he doesn't have to keep on battling his teammate because that's allowing lewis hamilton to catch up and you also have the threat from perez because at this point like i said 
Max, who was comfortably leading and, you know, you can make the argument had it not been for, you know, the, the situation with Max having the damage from that carbon fiber, uh, you know, Max would have been comfortably leading the race. It, it just, there was an element that is, you know, the Red Bull is just faster. So because of that situation changing, now you have the Perez element. Now, Lewis Hamilton, it has to be said at this point, and this is how you know Mercedes and the improvement that they've made. You know, George Russell, unfortunately, and I, I just have to mention this because I, I didn't mention this earlier. George Russell tried his hardest to speak to the FIA to see if they can, while they had the long red flag, if they can repair the car and come back. And the FIA was adamant. There's a gentleman we see every race, and uh, forgive me for not knowing his name, uh, name from the FIA, but you saw George Russell talk to him, and you know the team also mentioned that George Russell stopped because he was really concerned for you know, the driver for Zhou Gan Yu, and that's why he had stopped. And of course his car had damaged, but there was actually enough time during the red flag to go ahead and repair the car and the FIA would not allow that. Now, let me mention this real quick and I'll get back to the Ferrari drama, you know, between the drivers and the pit wall. One thing that caught my attention, and I don't know if you guys caught it when you were watching the, the, the world feed, George was speaking with the FIA delegate, and I am really, really surprised that there wasn't another person from Mercedes, especially from the pit wall, that was by his side helping and arguing the case. And again, this is one of those situations, you know, I know at the, uh, the pit wall, they are in you know, radio communication with the FIA and asking if things can be done. I get that part, but... I, you know, I don't know. Again, this may be the regulations and, you know, it, it's just the driver that can speak to the FI delegate. I, and I don't know if that's the case, but I'm just telling you guys, I am really surprised. I see George Russell speaking to the FI delegate. And what keeps going through my mind is where's another team personnel from, from, you know, the, the pit wall. And I don't know how far that entrance is in Silverstone. Maybe, that entrance was really far away from the pit wall. Again, I'm not 100% sure, but I was just, you know, I would inside myself, I kept on saying, where's another person that can help? But maybe that wouldn't have made a difference. So anyway, they would not let George Russell, which is a shame, they would not let his car be repaired and go back to the race. So continuing from, you know, that, that piece of it. So the communication with Ferrari, and you guys keep in mind, this has happened s repeatedly to Charles Leclerc. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm going back several eras and I'm going back really far. Ferrari have always had issues with their strategy calls, issues with decision making at the pit wall. Um, and that goes back to the Schumacher era. That goes back to the Vettel era. We don't have enough time for me to go back to the history, but this is not anything new. This is a weakness that Ferrari have had. So again, as the laps are unfolding, you know that it is affecting the tires of Sainz and Charles Leclerc and Leclerc keeps on telling the team, Hey, you know, there needs to be a decision made because I have better pace. Now they tell signs, listen, at, at the, uh, the final part, they tell signs, we're going to give you one more lap to match such and such a lap time. And if not, we're going to switch and signs goes, okay. And, you know, by the time that lap happens, he's not able to, when I say him, signs is not able to meet that target. So they do that switch and they do that at lap 31 where the team comes on and instructs signs to go ahead and switch and let Leclerc through. Here's the problem guys. At this point, lap 31, think about lap after lap after lap that has gone by for Ferrari to be indecisive. Okay. Now me in the meantime, Lewis Hamilton is setting 
fastest lap after fastest lap after fastest lap. And, you know, you cannot um, understate and undersay the the effort that was happening with Lewis Hamilton and the way he was driving. And that also says something about the Mercedes pace. You know, think about it. Lewis Hamilton for without, I mean, without even exaggeration for almost between nine to 15 laps was setting qualifying purple times lap after lap. And he was gaining ground to the guys at the front. Um, That's how much pace he and pressure he was putting on them. And he was eating, you know, he was eating away at the time. So look at all the elements of the race that was going on. So you have the pit wall that are not, you know, doing a good job of making a decisive decision. You know, your championship leader and your driver's Charles Leclerc, but Ferrari, and you know, there are certain situations where I understand, I understand it's very difficult to make a decision, but the fact that they waited so long made a difference and that actually helped out the other teams. Here's another major turning point in the race for you guys, okay? And again, this is related to Ferrari. So there's a point where you have a yellow flag and the teams react uh, very decisively. So Mercedes brings Hamilton in. And at that point, Ferrari very strangely decide that they're going to split strategy. So they decide to keep Charles Leclerc out and bring signs in and they give him fresh tires. Now, again, you know, you don't have to be a Ferrari fan. Just as a person who's watching the race, you're wondering, you left Charles Leclerc out, yet you brought in signs and gave him uh, newer tires. So, of course, once the race resumes, like I said, you have a really difficult situation now because here's Charles Leclerc who's under pressure. Here's Sainz who, you know, you have to keep in mind that Sainz has never had an F1 victory. You know, Sainz has been in F1 for a minute. He's been in different teams. He's always been a really good, solid driver, but he's never had an F1 victory. And there's a point where the Ferrari pit wall come on the radio. And at this point, you know, it's not apparent at the time, but it's almost an indication that the the team, the Ferrari team knows that they've dropped the ball. So they give instructions to um, uh, signs for him, for him to give Charles some breathing space once the switch has done because there's a tire advantage that, you know, Sainz has. So they, the team is instructing Sainz to give Charles Leclerc some breathing space. I'll tell you what, Sainz does not comply. And he, you know, the one thing about Sainz, and you really have to say this, Carlos is not you know, rookie driver, he's been around and he's a very intelligent driver. And this is not the first time, even between last year and this year, it's, he's very compliant to the team, but there are some points where the team have asked him to do something. And Carlos goes, Hey, no, this is what I think is better. And he did not comply with those rules, uh, with, with that request, excuse me. So This is now putting pressure on Charles because of the decision and the ball that was dropped. Now you have an advantage that Sainz has, which Charles cannot keep up. And like I said, you have the pressure of Perez. You have the pressure of Hamilton, who is, you know, relentless. You know, they've already pit him in so that he can have fresh tires to go towards the end of the race, but yet, you know, he is not, you know, Charles Leclerc doesn't have that option. So like I said, you can tell 
He's not happy on the radio communicating with the team. Now, at this point, you know, Max, who has damage, you know, uh, on his floor, he's vulnerable. So he's not even really um, in the in the fight right at the top. You know, Verstappen is now dropped down to seventh, eighth. And so now you have a battle, just an absolute gem of a race that is happening between Hamilton Leclerc and Perez and by all accounts if you look at the last I want to say you know you can probably say between 10 to 15 laps and the the closeness first off of the driving and I have to say this while describing the last final laps kudos to F1 you know I I just had to pause because I, I have to get my right words the the policy that F1 has been working on to get these cars to race closely, you guys have to keep in mind, they've been working at this for this design designation for three and a half years, four years. They have gone through reams of data in order to change the design of these cars so they can race closely. This is the end result, okay? What we saw in Silverstone is just an unbelievable the that's the fruit of the labor of all these engineers all the f1 you know technical delegates when they bring their mind together and you combine that you combine that and i want you guys to underline this you combine that with the best race car drivers in the world that are getting within inches of their cars driving 220 240 miles per hour boy you are treated to some vintage racing so you saw the lane changes uh between charles leclerc and lewis hamilton just an absolute classic of you know getting into the drs zone and taking each other but they're doing they're dueling and making passes at 220, 230 miles per hour, but they're still doing it in a respectful way where it's not taking out the other drivers. And you have Perez in the mix too. And it was just an unbelievable display of skills. Um, It was just an unbelievable display of how these beautiful F1 cars are now designed where in past years, you know, as the car got closer to the back, you would the air would be disturbed. You would see that the tires would have been affected and worn. And not only that, they get over they they overheat so much that the driver from behind that's closing he has to give a little gap for his tires to cool down before he attack again. But what we have with these new uh, regulations in these new ground effect cars is you just saw lap after lap of overtaking. So there's a point, I believe it may have been lap 45 or 46, where now you have three cars, Perez, Charles, and Hamilton, because now science has built up, um, some gap. Now science is, is ahead because you know, the, that, he had the tire advantage of Charles Leclerc. And and like I said, Charles Leclerc was on the radio with his team. You can clearly tell he's not happy. And I'll, I'll get to the end of the race and just, um, what kind of drama is unfolding with Ferrari. I'll get to that part, but just concentrating on this fantastic duel between these three drivers. So there was a point where while Leclerc, uh, yeah, Leclerc and um, Perez were battling, Hamilton just makes this unbelievable, amazing move and overtakes them. And you started thinking to yourself, with this British crowd, by the way, this crowd was amazing, okay? This crowd was amazing and their support was unbelievable. And you, you heard the roar with with Hamilton taking over and you thought to yourself, man, is, is Lewis Hamilton about to take P2 on the podium with that amazing move? But then when you saw the next lap, Lewis goes wide and that actually gives Perez another gap. And of course, you know, there, 
the the pace differential between the Red Bull and the Mercedes, the, the Mercedes, even with the improvements they've done, I mentioned to you guys at the top of the show, Red Bull has brought improvements too. So in a way, even though I do believe Mercedes has inched up closer to Red Bull, there there is still an advantage that um, the Red Bull car has. So they definitely... Um, Perez was able, when Lewis Hamilton went wide, he was able to go ahead and take that place from him. So it was just an absolute, you know, fantastic duel. Um, I think when Lewis Hamilton goes back and looks at that uh, replay, um, you know, he might be, he might um, be a little bit regretful because he could have, you know, closed the gap a little bit. But you know, that that just that is natural racing. That's always going to happen. Um, you know, you can't you can say if or but after every race. That that's just the normal course of being a race driver. But yeah, Perez was really able to go ahead and take um, take that second place from him. So that relegated. Uh, Lewis Hamilton to third. So as the laps are closing out, like I said, it was just such a tantalizing battle. And you you saw Lewis Hamilton give everything he can. But at the end, that wasn't quite enough. So it was a very momentous occasion for uh, Sainz because he had done so many years and so many races and that race victory had eluded him and he finally got it done but so you know congratulations to him uh, and of course second place was Sergio Perez like I said with for Red Bull third place Lewis Hamilton was in his home race he did a fantastic job to get P3 um, and round up the top three now I, I did wanted to say to you guys while we're talking about this there is one thing I wanted to mention that I don't believe we saw this on the world feed, but apparently there were pro- protesters at the British GP at the race at Silverstone. And what happened was when we had the red flag, uh, coincidentally, it may have saved lives because, and again, I don't know if I possibly missed it, but I don't think this was shown on the world feed, but there were some protesters that were about to go on the track. And if you think about how scary that is, had there been any cars going on the track, I mean, how dangerous you have cars going 220 miles, that would have put the protesters at risk. That would have really put the drivers, you know, at risk. It could have probably affected the marshals that were there on the field. So, Um, From my understanding, those protesters were apprehended and arrested. But, you know, that was just such a dangerous thing. I mean, I think it's always good to have free speech and, you know, um, express your opinion. But there are many, many other ways to do that and to risk going on a track that the fastest cars on earth are, are circling around, putting yourself and your life at risk, the driver's life. Um, boy, that was scary. And I, I'm, you know, it, it's amazing sometimes, I guess, how life works. The fact that there was a red flag probably saved the life of the protesters and the driver. Because what would have happened if the driver swerved trying to avoid a person and then he got into an accident? You know, so I would have hated to think what happened. But yeah, that that was also another aspect of this British GP that had, you know, I mean, my goodness, what, what didn't this race have from scary moment of an accident, which I'm very glad to again, report to you guys that, uh, they were checked with the medics, both, uh, Albon and Joe Ganyu were all uh, cleared, um, after going to the medical check in the hospital, they're both safe. So, the most important news out of this weekend was the fact that these two drivers are okay. Um, also, the F2 driver that I mentioned, Dennis Hoger, um, I'm so glad that he's okay. You know, forget all the other, the race results and everything. The first thing that is important is safety. And so I'm glad all these three drivers are okay. But so 
going back to the race results now, like I said, you have Sainz, Perez, Hamilton, and rounding up the top five, you have Leclerc coming in in fourth and uh, Alonso coming up in fifth, okay? Now, so that's the top five rounded, but we have to speak about what happened after the race, okay? And again, this there's a lot of you that may not have picked this up, but this is pretty important. So Leclerc, obviously, and you cannot blame him one bit, one bit. Um, the Ferrari team yet again has let him down. Okay. Um, you can imagine how angry he is. Now, keep in mind, just this season, Leclerc has been let down in Monaco. He's been let down in Baku because of the bad decision-making as far as strategy from Ferrari. They're indecisive. A lot of times they don't make the right decisions. And this has come back to haunt them yet again. So there was a very, very interesting video. Um, So after the race... Leclerc makes sure that uh, he congratulates Sainz. He was actually the first person to do that. And after he does that, uh, the principal of Ferrari, Benito, is having a conversation with him that seems a little spirited. And again, the cameras caught this, guys. And he, of course, we don't have any sound. This is from a distance. But he mentions something to him and then whacks his finger. Um, as if to make sure to tell Charles Leclerc that, you know, the, the thinking is Leclerc has not held back in criticizing the, the Ferrari team um, w- because of, you know, what has happened in the races that I mentioned, Monaco, Baku. Um, you, you, I mean, there's there's been races multiple times where he's been let down. And so he's definitely hasn't held back in criticizing the team. And you can tell that this was a moment that Benito was kind of stamping his ground. And, you know, we can only speculate that he was telling him not to criticize the team. And in the interviews that, you know, of course, all the drivers after the race have to give, um, you know, uh, Charles Leclerc was... (laughs) Uh, let's just say not as forthcoming uh, with the criticism. And I think that is directly and and not just me, but most journalists, uh, including the ITV journalists mentioned that, you know, that's what they think Benito was kind of warning him and doing. And, you know, my takeaway is, you know, Ferrari this weekend really um, had a bittersweet you know, uh, bittersweet weekend on, on one end, you have your one driver, Carlos Sainz, who has not had a victory in many races. He secures a win for Ferrari, but on the other hand, your, your lead driver, uh, the, the man that you have, you know, given a multi-year contract, which is very, not only unlike F1, but is very unlike Ferrari. So you've entrusted this driver with who has special talents you know who's a very talented guy you've entrusted him to be in your team for many years ahead but at the same time you've done a split strategy that does not make sense you should have gone ahead and pitted him and put him on fresh tires the explanation that the team and Benito, you know, the team principal of Ferrari did after the race, you know, in order to do damage control, even that didn't necessarily make, you know, 100% full sense. You know, it, I, I, you, you could, even being fair to the team, it, it just was not necessarily the correct decision to make. And so, you have to ask yourself, is this going to be a pivotal moment for Charles Leclerc that we're going to circle that he just does not have any faith in this team anymore? You know, I, I, I just I, I mentioned to you guys right at the beginning of the podcast and uh, just as setting up this scenario here. This is not new to Ferrari, guys. 
this goes back years this goes back different drivers this goes back before benito who's the current uh team principal this goes back to the days of 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 the older schumacher you know who had controversies with ruben Spirakello, who was his teammate guys i'm not going to get into the history but this has been part of ferrari and this has been a major weakness and Yet again, they found themselves in a situation that you've almost alienated your top driver. And how does he continue? Is this going to have a lasting effect? I mean, none of us are going to know the answers to these questions, but they have to be said because it's pretty critical. You have let this guy, meaning Charles Leclerc, you've let him down time and time again. Now you're wagging your finger. And this is one thing I, I want to mention, guys, being a, a team principal. I want to give you guys a little perspective and a little background um, just with, you know, having watched as, as much F1 as I have. Um, being team principal is an extremely complicated, um, you know, really accomplished role where you really have a role of CEO and you're balancing so many different roles um, and responsibilities, okay? You are you are literally leading an organization. If you look at the top three, your Mercedes, Red Bull, and Ferrari, you're leading an organization of almost a thousand people, okay? And that doesn't matter if you're in business, that doesn't matter, if, you know, in any sector, that's a lot of moving parts and you need to be an extremely talented people uh, and excuse uh, extremely talented person in order to do that and the biggest i would argue one of your biggest biggest responsibilities okay in in that role is your relationship to the drivers because at the end of the day your factory your engineers that you have, hundreds and hundreds of them that work in the car. Well, guess what? It's your drivers, you know, that put that on the road. So your relationship to them is very important. And if you look at Total Wolf and Christian Horner, for everything you can say about Christian Horner, his relationship with Max Verstappen is undeniable. In fact, I cannot tell you guys, Max Verstappen has done a lot of things over the years. He's, he's said the wrong things. He's done the wrong things on the track. Guys, I challenge you, and I put this challenge to myself before I'm putting it out to you. I cannot remember a time that Christian Horner has not defended this guy, no matter what he does. And I'm not saying that's the, the route that you should take. What I'm saying is the team principal and the star driver you are married at the hip you know their success is your success your success is their success so you're almost always protecting them and you have to because if they mentally feel like um, this is a mental game that you don't have their back 100 percent that that might have issues on on the circuit that might have issues on the track if you look at Total Wolf, and this is the perfect example, and again, just for the sake of time, I'm going to concentrate on the two, uh, the top three teams because we're talking about Benito and Ferrari. So comparing the, the three big boys, Red Bull, Mercedes, and Ferrari, Total Wolf to me is you won't find a better example of a leader and a CEO. And the, the word leader is very important because whether it's the days of Rosberg, who was in the team when they had so many issues between Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton, uh, when they had Valtteri Bottas, what was amazing was even though Total Wolf has an, an absolutely exceptional uh, relationship with Lewis Hamilton, almost uh, you can say almost fatherlike in how he protects him, how he guides him how he's helped him out through difficult positions. The one thing that's amazing about Toto's, he's always made sure that he's not going to show any favoritism to his drivers. Even though we know, you know, as a seven-time world champion, you know, Lewis Hamilton, no matter who his teammate is, 
you know, there's no other driver in F1 that has achieved what Lewis Hamilton has. But even with that, there's always respect to George Russell. There's always respect to Valtteri Bottas. And there's always respect to Rosberg. So let me bring this back to Benito again. There's a reason why I'm telling you and I'm comparing the other principles, guys. Benito, and I don't know how many how many of you guys are aware, Benito is an absolute exceptional engineer before he was the team principal of Ferrari. And again, some of you may know that, some of you may not. Benito, unlike the, his other contemporaries, Total Wolf and Christian Horner, these guys are very experienced guys. Both of them have raced in the past, but they're not engineers by trade. Benito is not just an engineer, which is very hard to do in F1. Benito's an exceptional engineer. He's he's an engine engineer, which you can argue is almost like, you know, you have different categories with doctors. That's almost that's almost equivalent to saying somebody's a brain surgeon. Okay. You can argue that's one of the most complicated parts of the car. And so he's an absolute exceptional engineer who's worked his way up to become team principal. Why do I tell you guys that information? Because you being an exceptional engineer does not equate sometimes to you maybe having the best skills with dealing with people. Okay. Again, this is very important because you never know what kind of turn this race is going to make on Charles Leclerc. He was really unhappy. This is the third time the team has let him down. And again, I'm not trying to make something bigger than it is. I'm just telling you guys, I think Benito's a very good leader. I think he has a good relationship with both his drivers, but I don't know if his skills managing people um, are as good as his other contemporaries. And again, we'll wait and see if this is going to lead to more ripples because Charles Leclerc, like I said to you guys, has a long-term relationship with this team. And what kind of damage is this going to cause moving forward? I, you know, I don't know. You guys don't know. It's just very important to mention, but Going back to the race again, just capping it, guys. This has been, we saw some absolutely exceptional racing. Um, the takeaway from the weekend is, you know, thank God for safety in F1 modern cars and the halo. The fact that all three drivers, including Dennis Huger from F2, um, you know, Jogan Yu and Albon are okay. But we were treated to some amazing, amazing races. And you know, there's a reason why Silverstone is a favorite as far as, you know, the drivers, as far as the record crowds that were there. We were treated to an amazing race. So this will bring to a conclusion uh, the F1 British GP review for TF1 podcast. As always, guys, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I thank you from all parts of the globe for supporting it. I hope you guys have a great week. We have another race right around the corner coming up uh, at the end of the weekend. So I will see you soon. You guys take care.